Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today is going to be a indifferent episode because normally I interview people outside of my state and I actually have someone who is in my state and you know we met each other over the summer at this conference and she was like hey okay and I was like who is this person because I didn't notice her I was like who is this and I'm like, oh okay so it's Dr. Nelson uh and so, you know, I've been wanting to have her on uh, because she is doing this consulting thing. And you know how I talk about educators out here uh, getting that money and creating multiple streams of income. She has a, a unique background. And I want to have her on. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast, and now on Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Nelson? Absolutely. Great morning. Great morning. I am LaQuanta Nelson. I am a 15-year middle school educator, okay? So I went to middle school and never left. It is, it is my special place. I say middle school is a special place for special people, and uh, I love the home of the crazy. So that's just honestly all of me in a nutshell. I, I love middle school, and I've spent my entire career there in, in middle level education here in the state of Mississippi. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting when, you know, when I look at my analytics of who's listening to the show, where are they, what are they listening to the show on, the overwhelming majority of people are outside of the state of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. For folks who haven't been here and their only reference to this state is something they may see online or some civil rights stuff that they may hear of or like, oh my gosh, dude. Mississippi? I get that a lot too. Like, Mississippi? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 tell us about your childhood and, and what Mississippi is to you. So I grew up in a very small town here in Mississippi, Crystal Springs, which is considered the tomato capital of the world right now. Um, a very small town of about 5,000 people. So I went to public school there. Very actually diverse community. Um, you know, I think people, you are absolutely correct. When you hear Mississippi, there's such a negative connotation um, on from every span, medically, educationally, just, just the whole span. We have this really negative view of what happens and what goes and who lives in Mississippi. But there are some amazing people here in this state um, of all backgrounds, um, of all socioeconomic status. And, you know, it's been for that reason that, you know, a lot of people choose to get educated and leave the state because of, honestly, sometimes the, the negative reputation that is so incumbent upon us. But because of the amazing experience that I had in this state. I do love to travel, I'll admit that, <laughs> but I absolutely love our state. Again, you know, there are people doing amazing things in this state, um, in every aspect of the word. And so, you know, I did grow up in a single parent home. However, you know, my school situation, you know, we were almost 50-50 black, white, same thing socioeconomic. There are folks who were from low income, but there were also people, you know, who lived in, almost multi-million dollar homes that were there. So you just, uh, there was the, the, the diverse range of there. But again, you know, Mississippi is not dirt roads and everyone work, walking around, and, you know, barefoot. It's just, it's not the case. Um, I, I've had an amazing experience being here in Mississippi. So, you know, I tell anybody to come on down. Not only is it a great place to visit, but, you know, it really is a great place to live as well. So where did you go for undergrad and how did you find yourself in K through 12 education? 
I am so very proud to say I'm a graduate of Tougaloo College. Um, there at Tougaloo, I studied psychology. A lot of people don't know that about me. I was one of the people, you know, the normal story, right, that you try to run from education. So I was a second grader in Miss Nancy Jones' uh, class at Crystal Springs Elementary, and it was there that I realized that I wanted to make everybody feel the way that that lady made me feel. She truly made me feel that I could conquer the world. There was not a day that I ever remember going to her classroom that she didn't challenge us to do our absolute best and to see ourselves the way that she did, right? She saw all of us as these little geniuses that could completely change the world. Um, and so it was their second grade that I realized that I wanted to, to be an educator. Now, by the time I got to high school, you know, I was fortunate enough to be um, academically inclined, if you will. So I was one of the folks that were like, oh, you're too smart to be an educator. Like, no, do something else. You know, you're really good at math. Go be a mathematician for somebody else, not a, not a school system, right? So I did. I tried to run from it. And I found myself um, actually initially in math, and I was considering myself to be a biostatistician, right? I was going in that lane that I was being pushed in because I was good in it. But it was very early on, I had the opportunity to go to Morehouse School of Medicine over the summer. Fantastic opportunity doing research and stats with math and public health. It was amazing, but I'm like, mm, this didn't help me help somebody realize they can change the world, right? I'm crunching numbers, which is very necessary for change in public health. But I, it wasn't fulfilling. Um, it didn't give me that feeling that I, my, my second grade teacher uh, had me feeling in, in second grade. But So from there, I said, well, you know, if I go into psychology, I could do a little bit of school psychology and still work with kids and play in clinical psychology and, you know, make the money. Long story short, I found myself um, still, time I graduated, I was like, I got to go back and get a degree in education because I want to be a teacher. Um, so from there, I went to Mississippi College and, and started, uh, you know, my training in education. And, and here I am, you know, two decades later doing absolutely positively what I, what I love, which is working both with children and, and adult learners. Um, you know, so people ask me in the grocery store, you know, small talk, what do you do for a living? Uh, you know, and I always say I'm an educator. Oh, you're a teacher? Absolutely. I consider myself to be a teacher. I'm a teacher still. I go in the classroom and teach math a lot of days, but I also consider myself to be a teacher of teachers. So, you know, long story short, I was one of the folks that ran, ran, ran from my calling. But, you know, if it's your calling one way or the other, <laughs> you, you will find yourself there. And so, so here I am. Wow. I went to the loop. Did you? Why did I not know that? Yes, ma'am. I, I don't You know, when I see people because uh, there are a couple of people here in our district that went there. And then we'll go, you know, little Tougaloo, Eagle Queen, we love thee. Mother love Eagle, me. stir thy nest. Yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, lived in Renner Hall. Yeah. That old big monster. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, interesting, uh, especially, you know, people, I just sang a bit of the school song, but, you know, taking... Uh, that freshman uh, course that we all had to take and learning that song right there. And for me, what was special was at the end of our freshman year and they're, and they're having that uh, transition sort of, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I forgot if they call it a complication or something yeah. where, you know, we we're in, we're in the, uh, uh wow they had us in the gym then that's how long ago i was there yeah uh, was down for a long time. yeah <laughs> so they had us there and you know sort of like okay you if you're going to be an education major you know they grouped everybody together by their majors and then people give these speeches and they're like oh stand up you know sort of like you're transitioning on mm -hmm. to you know your sophomore year getting into your major so mm -hmm. that was like a special sort of thing for me and I was like wow you know this is um this is all right this is all right yeah, yeah. It was a very special place and I, I was just fortunate enough to 
to land at Tougaloo. You know, again, I was academically inclined, and so I had offers to to multiple places, and so it, I narrowed it down, and I visited Tougaloo, and it was there that I met Dr. Fami, you know, and, and we sat down there on some of the steps and had a conversation that was profound uh, for me, and it really did change my thought process about college and about my life after college, and it was that day on the steps there at Tougaloo that I was like, this is where I belong, and so I've been so grateful for my opportunity there. I was also grateful, you know, to be the first class that um, came in with Dr. Hogan and she was just such an amazing, impactful, passionate leader. You know, she demanded that all of us, you know, that we 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 were the all the epitome of Tougaloo, right, by the time that we left. And so it just was an amazing experience that really did propel me to, to who I am today professionally and, and personally. Wow. See, I'm showing my age, so Shakir was there. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shakir was. Yeah, he was the president when I was there. People. Yeah. Uh, we, it was just it was just a, a great experience. I went. Now I wasn't like you with you know academically inclined, uh, but I you know I, I got I, I applied for all the HBCUs in Mississippi and then Grambling and. Dillard mm-hmm. and I was going to Dillard that mm-hmm. was my I was like I'm going pops <laughs> I'm going to Dillard and they kept messing up my paperwork I would just get some in the mail like you need this for your financial aid and I was like all right pops I need this send it in and then they'll send me something back we need this and I was like man y'all better stop playing with me yeah. with my paperwork and Steve Smith who recruited me yes he called me up. He was like, hey, dude, you know, you, you coming? I was like, man, I'm going to Diller. No, you need to come to Tuvalu. Right. And I was like, why this man calling me, man? You, have you seen my transcript? I'm, I'm not the all-star you are. <laughs> I'm not the all-star you should be looking for. But uh, I, did a, I did a visit. Pops and I went on campus. We're around. I was like, this is cool. And then, you know, being 18, yes. you know, I, there was other stuff I saw on campus and I said, yeah, this is, it's going to be a good place for me. Right? It's going to be a good place for me. So, um, yeah, that was it. You know, I was, uh, it was a great experience for me. And mm-hmm. I took the wife back a couple of years ago because I was presenting at a conference uh, for preps mm-hmm. and we we're at that. What's the name of the Hilton Hotel that's real close? Yes. So I said, hey, you know, wife, let me let me show you. And we go on campus and I'm looking around and I was like, wow. Changed a lot. Yes. Uh, wow. Yeah, it, it it looks the same, but they got a whole, you know, some new buildings. Absolutely. It's beautiful. New buildings there. And I was like, yo, Dr. Oliboli stood around. It's like, oh, he he retired. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. Now that dude. I fell asleep in his class. And he was okay. like, Willie, Willie Davenport, why are you sleeping in my class? Yes. And I'm like, how does cat know me? Okay, we're 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 at Kinslow Kinslow Hall. Yes. In like a little auditorium. I'm like, this how does cat know my name? I'm in the room with a whole bunch of folk. What man know who I am? But uh yeah, it was a great experience and all of the people that I've gone to school there with, you know, they're judges and yes. dentists and Absolutely. Educators and other stuff, you know, because I, I was there with uh, Derek and his wife, Tisha. Uh-huh. And people, you know, Derek is the president of the uh, NAACP. Uh, so I was there. It was, it's just odds. You know, I was watching Soul Train Awards and I saw, you know, Tisha in the audience and I'm like, okay. <laughs> like when, when school with the people, they just chilling right there. Uh, so people, you know, we've gone off track, but yeah, the Tougaloo was a great experience. I'm a huge proponent of uh, black people going to HBCUs, mm-hmm. and so it's good to know that you went. Absolutely. So after being a classroom teacher and administrator, what took you to the state level? Well, honestly, it's it's, it's pretty simple. I've always had the desire to to help others along their way, 
And so what I found myself was being invited to, you know, different boards and different foundations that put me in the position, if you will, to be able to help more people. And that was one of the things, um, you know, I never envisioned myself being an administrator. I wanted to teach. And what, what happened was that, you know, my peers looked at me as someone who could help them on their journey as well, even early on. And so that's kind of how I matriculated from being, you know, a teacher to a lead teacher to assistant principal to a principal, you know, and even now as the executive director, you know, for our state level middle school association, it's simply been to help others along the way. If, if I know nothing else, I know, you know, we all have that dash, right? And, and, and what's most important is, are you positively impacting those around you in a way that you're leaving any space you enter better than, than you found it? And so it's been simple as that, you know, our, our children in this state are so deserving of amazing experiences. Um, and, and our educators in this state are so deserving of amazing experiences as well, right? And so I think sometimes we, we neglect that piece that the adult learners, because teachers are adult learners. We all are adult learners. Until the day we die, you are learning. <laughs> so it's, it's been simply that, to help everyone have the best um, educational experience that they could possibly have. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm just such an avid supporter of public education, you know, with, with so much happening in our state and in our nation, you know, there's so much talk and um, debate around public education versus, you know, even here in the state the last few years, charter schools and private schools. Um, and, and, and I just think whether it's I'm having to pay $1,500, $1,600 a month for my child or my child is going, either way, both children in both settings deserve amazing experiences. And so um, it's, it's, it's been my heart's desire and my heart's work, my, my life's work, if you will, to help um, you know, public education in our state be the absolute best that it could be. No doubt. So there's no shortage of consultants in Mississippi. And uh -huh. one of the you know, largest ones is uh, Bailey. Mm -hmm. But, you know, before I kind of talk about how you are standing out, I want to ask you, what is Boss Educator and what is the story and what is the story behind you starting your own business? So I've had the opportunity to get to uh, make impact in a, in a diverse range of educational settings, right? So I've been in a high performing school. I believed in a team and students enough to take on one of the lowest middle schools in the state of Mississippi and turn that baby around. So I, I've had both extremes experiences and in both of those experiences, again, I tell you my, my desire personally and professionally is to never leave a space better than I found it. And so in both of those situations, you know, when you're transitioning to your next assignment, you know, people are like, wait a minute, I need to hear from you still. I, I need to, <laughs> will you help? what do you think about this so how do you abcdefg continue talking to us continue sharing with us and so honestly it's been from that you know i have people who you know i worked with 15 years ago that'll text or call and say hey we're trying to figure out how to motivate this child this is the story blah 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 how, how what do you think you know i have a, a you know an ap call from a previous setting and say listen we had discipline down here something's happened talk to me about what you think about this and so it's just been from people reaching out wanting to know my thoughts and suggestions on on how to make impact on you know an issue and you know one of my core values is to always be goal-oriented and solution-minded and I think because of that people when they're in a situation where they need some possible solutions that they, they'll reach out so that's kind of where it came from but you know, boss educator, probably when people think of that, they think boss, right? You think position. But that is not what boss educator is about at all. It's about a mindset of knowing that you've got the power to make impact regardless of the position, right? And so the boss actually stands for being bold. I think as educators sometimes, even with me, I, and you know, you reached out to me probably a year ago, and I'm like, no, I can't talk about making money, right, as an educator, because even in that space, I wasn't making money, right? At that time, I'm just, I'm doing what I know to do, and it's to give of myself to others, right? But, you know, because you're almost taught 
educators, we, we should be the most modest folks. We, you know, should walk a certain way, talk a certain way. And so it's like, no, you can't talk about yourself like that, right? And so even today, I struggle with doing the PR piece for myself. I do, right? Because it's just the nature of the beast, I guess. You know, you're, you're trying to, to not brag, and it's not a brag, right? But you're just trying to do the work, do the work. And so that's my mind frame, which is just do the work. Um, but if you're going to make impact in education, if you're going to make impact in any field, you've got to be bold in your stance. You've got to stand on what you believe and you've got to stand firm on that. And so that's what the bold is coming from. Um, optimistic. Oh, my goodness. You know, turning on the news today, you don't have to turn it on long at all. It's just so many depressing things, if you will, in the world. Our education, uh, educational systems and schools are just a, a microism, if you will, of the world. And so our kids and adults come to schools with all types of issues. And as a caring, nurturing educator, you can get bogged down and really, you take on everybody's baggage, right? So then after you get so weighted down, it's hard to stay positive. But if you are going to make that impact again, you've got to figure out how do I take these things and then turn them into learning opportunities? How do I take this baggage and, and, and turn it into to praise breaks? How do, how do I take these things and, and because again, it's all about the mindset, right? The, the little engine that could get to the top by saying, I think I can, I think I can. If you're too bogged down, you'll be saying, I can't, I can't. And so the optimistic piece is coming from there. The spontaneous, so I'm just crazy enough to believe. Again, I work with the crazies. We know that middle schoolers are simply hormones on feet and you gotta be crazy to deal with the hormones on feet, right? And so not just middle school, but all, it should be fun. Like school should be fun. It should be fun for the kids, for the, the teachers, for anybody that's well, even the custodial staff. They should have fun during the day, right? Uh, we spend a majority of our lives in, in school settings so it, at work, right? Because that's the other thing about boss educator that's different is, you know, we're not just talking about professional development for educators. You know, I, it's personal development. So personal development for business, for organization, for for or, you know, whatever um, is, is in need of that. So the spontaneous piece, you know, spice it up every now and then. Yes, schools need to be structured. Yes, organizations and business, you must be structured because it's facts that you can't get high performance unless it's in the framework of high expectations, right? So coming with that, you gotta have some structure, some order, some systems, but it all should to be fun, right? You, you should have that, that, spon that spontaneous, spark that that you know you just never know what's going to happen positively within a day and then the last thing is substantial are you doing work that matters are you are you doing something that in five years is going to matter so you know as a boss as a boss educator you've got to make sure that every day you are doing something that is going to have positive long-lasting impact on on scholars on the school on the community which ultimately impacts, you know, the world, you know, so goes the school, so goes the community. So goes the community, so goes the city, so goes the state, you know? So we've just got to make sure that we are doing the work that, that is inspiring everyone to be the absolute best that they can be. You know, I say to, to the kids and to the scholars and everybody every day, you know, in all of the universe, there's only one you. And so if we all work on developing ourselves and who we are and simply work on being better today than you were yesterday then you know i think think we're meeting the goal of education that's mm. all right but a lot of schools they don't focus on what matters yes you're right oh my gosh it's just test 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 driving kids crazy <laughs> with testing uh focusing on the numbers, always on the numbers, and yeah. not really understanding that one, you can't do the work for the kids. That's they right. have to do the work. You can't make them want to do the work. They have to do the work. And when you talk about long-term uh, success, those students, particularly those ones who normally fall on that lower end, they have to want to and understand that there is a future 
That's right. Greater than what they see every day around them. That's right. Right. So they have to hope and believe in that. And there is no test score, no remediation program that you can buy that is going to get them there. Right. We have to get them turned on to learning. And I think too often, because time is of the essence in a school, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be a part of a, a, a losing team, right? So that's where the whole test score, test score, because we all know, you know, at, at a certain point in the year, the State Department is going to put out a number on you, a letter rather on you, a number and a letter. And, you know, nobody wants to be a part of a losing team. And so that's where that pressure we know it's coming from and of course it's coming from higher up on them even so we understand that but I think especially in middle school and all schools we 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 ignore that social emotional piece and as I said our schools are simply a reflection of our society and because of that kids are coming to school with grown-up issues right like I don't I grew up in a single parent household my mom it's another reason that you know I worked so hard because I saw her work so hard you know, didn't graduate from college, you know, and so I, I understand that mentality of having to grow up in that situation, but but a, a defining factor for me was, number one, I had a mom who she was so caring and so devoted, and I had devoted, I have a mom, um, but but my educators was the same, you know, like I said, Miss Jones, she made us feel, feeling speaks to social emotional learning, she made us feel that we were capable of conquering the world. And so I think sometimes the educators are so stressed and so bogged down with the academic deficits that kids walk into our classrooms with that, you know, we, we kind of neglect because time is of the essence, right? So it's the great balancing act that, you know, sometimes we don't get it right. You know, I'm just, I'm one of those people that's honest and transparent, you know, we're all guilty of it, trying to, to balance giving the kids what they need you know, because again, that Maslow piece, I tell you, it's the craziest thing, right? So if I were queen of education, <laughs> so many, there would be more courses in psychology because so much of what we really truly have to deal with um, in creating high performance in kids and adults speaks to, to psychology. Um, but again, we, we miss that piece, that social emotional piece. But again, this is why I said uh, boss educator is more than about professional development. It's about personal development because I can't expect a teacher to be positive poly in her educational being if she is negative Nancy in her personal being. Mm. It's not, it, it, it's dang near, okay, I'm going it's dang near impossible, right? So we, we've got to work on, as Ayala would say, who we be. Who mm -hmm. are you as an individual? And, you know, we, we all have issues. And, and, and until we can acknowledge that, you know, you won't be able to develop as professionally as you can because you aren't developed as personally as, as you can be. So boss educator is about the personal development piece. And then it's also about the organizational, if you will, structural development piece, because let's say I am personally and professionally positive poly, right? But I go into a system and an organization, a business, an organization that is dysfunctional. That does not propel me to be my greatest professional self. It doesn't propel me to be, you know, my most effective in whatever that position is if the organization is, is, dis, is in dysfunction, right? So that's why, you know, you know, if somebody were to ask me, what's the difference between you and a Bailey? What well, can I tell you? I think Bailey's fantastic. The Kirklands of the world, they do amazing work. I have mad respect for, for those companies and all those folks that work because I tell you, they get down and dirty, if you will. They get down to the nitty gritty with helping educators, um, you know, walk through how, the, the pedagogy piece, which is necessary. It's very necessary because more and more, you know, we know folks are fleeing from education and more and more we're getting um, people who are, you know, alternately trained and, you know, in alternate education programs, they're doing the best they can to do the, to produce people who are ready to walk in the classroom with a certification. However, you know, there's no way you can learn everything you need to learn in, in a semester's worth of time before you go 
from, from another field into education and then to a classroom, right? So they're amazing, again, at, at that work. Um, more so, does Boss Educator do that? Absolutely, we can, right? But that's, that's not what we're, we're focusing. We're focusing, again, on the personal development piece so that you can develop professionally. It's that whole, are you living on purpose? Uh, are, are you operating in your truest self, right? Mm. And then the organizational piece, because climate and culture of a school, we know. We, sometimes we, we, we ignore it, right? We ignore it. We expect that, oh, it's school, and everybody knows you come for teaching and learning when it's not so. Climate and culture of a school building and any organization will either make or break its success. So I think that's two areas that, that again, any school, organization, business, you, you have to focus on, on both ends of those. And I see professional developers being in the middle, right? It's, it's developing the craft in the middle. But again, you got to be ready personally to go into that position. So. Mm. And I love everything you said because we see so many school districts who, and, and I call it hot zones where you have, let's say my area, where there are f like four or five school districts that are this close to each other. Mm -hmm. And then you have that Jackson Metro area. Again, all those school districts clumped together. Whereas as a teacher or an administrator, I do not have to uproot my children to go work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, school, people in charge don't understand my turnover rate can get out of hand because I'm not in somewhere where these teachers literally have to say, do I want to uproot my family to go somewhere else? They don't, they can stay right where they are and go work with other school districts That's true. and their lives never get changed. That's right. And how they are and how they operate and don't understand that as much as you want to do PD on instructional practices, X, Y, and Z, but if you know your student demographic and you know what some of your uh, data says on your discipline and, and where your students come from, or we know teaching is a, a high stressful job, when you're setting that PD schedule, Let's do something on teacher self-care. There you go. Right? Let's do something on, how, how, as a teacher, how do you emotionally That's right. detach That's right. yourself from when you just got into, a, got into it with a student and the student said, F you. Right. And then you sent them out and the principal sent them back. And you're like, <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> yes. What? Yes. And now, now you're already frustrated. Right. He come back and menstruated didn't do anything. Now you ready to just lose your mind. Right, right. And schools just don't understand that if people don't have these coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. right? And they don't they don't know how to That's right. It's about self, right? De yes. self de-escalation. Those are the yes. things that's what I'm saying. That personal development has got to be there, even more so in 2020, because again. You know, when we were in school, we had mad respect for adults. We had mad respect for authority. Like, even if we didn't agree, right? The, the You know, it's 2020 and, and kids are not necessarily being raised that way for whatever reason, right? The, not not everyone, but we have a large majority of, of kids and scholars, let me stop saying kids, uh, you know, that they're not raised the way that we were. And so what respect means to them is not what it means to us. And so you do, that's why I'm saying, you, you gotta be prepared personally to step into that, to be your best professionally because kids say the darndest things already, right? That's always been the case. <laughs> but in 2020, they say, the, excuse my French, they say the damnedest things, right? <laughs> because that respect factor is, is not necessarily, you know, what it used to be. So it's absolutely, you have to be more controlled in control of who you are and, and again as ayana would say who you be and how you be because you know you can easily because it, again <laughs> there's some interesting things that happen in schools to, in, in 2020 and that's just not in low performing schools that is in all schools that's in private schools that's in charter schools 
low socioeconomic status, high it's, it's the nature. Again, schools are a reflection of, of society. And again, you turn on your TV and you can clearly see what's going on in society. And so those things happen in school. But again, in order for us to do the work that we're called to do of effectively educating scholars, we have to have that you know, personal development in check so that we're able to, again, just like the situation, you got to know how to de-escalate self <laughs> before you can, can de-escalate a scholar. So you're out there and you are looking, this is my message. This is the work that I want to do. And you're looking at the landscape. Who is your ideal client, right? How do you determine which school districts would be best to hear your message versus somewhere else? Um, so, you know, again, activating my psychology background, you know, when you're talking about, for example, AA or recovery programs, not to say the schools are in recovery, um, because this speaks to high performance schools. So you got to recognize that there is a need for a focus on, on personal development. You've got to recognize that as an organization, we can do better than what we're doing, regardless if it's in a high performing school district or a low performing school district. I think you, you, you've got to have the mind frame that, you know, we, we need to pay attention to this particular area. We need to focus in this particular area. Um, and I think that's with, with any, you know, even consultants, because, you know, some school districts pay mad money for consultants to come in, right? And they come in, gone, call, ready to go. But then when they get there, the school is like, where are you going? <laughs> we don't want you here. So in those situations, the money is wasted, right? Because the person has to be ready to receive and ready to apply the new knowledge. So, so that's what I would say is, you know, the idea, the ideal school or company or business or organization is going to be one that recognizes we want to do better tomorrow than we're doing today. Mm. So what are you seeing in K through 12 education within the state that inspires you? And what are you seeing that gives you pause? So, you know, when I say educators are amazing, educators are amazing. And again, if I were queen of education, right? The educators would be the ballers in the community. <laughs> They'd be the ones with, with whatever they wanted. Because at the end of the day, it's educators who are preparing everyone else to go out and do the mass work that they desire to do. Um, you know, I'm most proud that on any assessment, any measure, even NAEP, you know, MDE and NAEP just they're doing these massive PRs because the last couple of years, our state is leading the way in NAEP with growth, right? For, for reading and math, we're just, our kids are growing by leaps and bounds. And the same is true for our state assessment. You know, every year, the last couple of years, we're getting more and more high performing schools. The kids are meeting growth goals more than they have before. Um, and even down to the iReadies and the, the Renaissance, all, on all assessment measures, our educators are, are doing the work that matters and our scholars are performing and it's showing in the data. So I'm super, super, super proud of that. Um, I'm also proud that more and more I'm starting, we're starting to see alternate education, not alternative in the stance that, you know, we're used to with oh, the children uh, misbehave and we're going to send them to an alternative school. Alternative education um, and innovative education, if you will, with pushing our kids to do more Voltec and pushing them, you know, to do early college, high school and doing those things that, you know, are just going to propel our scholars into their future because so many of them are ready for it now, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm very proud of that, that as well. The thing that gives me pause, I think, is that we aren't doing enough of that as well, right? Like, we've got to turn kids on in middle school and elementary school, right, to those things that we're mostly doing in high school. Uh, I'm crazy enough to believe and know that, and there are some school districts that are doing it well, that are doing coding in kindergarten, and, and, and kids are operating and, and moving robots and all these amazing things with coding as, as early as kindergarten. But I think we've got to do more of that. 
I think we've got to do more of the arts and we've got to do more, you know, that allows and perpetuates individuality with our kids. Because at the end of the day, I don't remember, I had some great educators growing up, right? I don't remember every single thing they taught me, but I do remember how they made me feel, whether they empowered me or whether, you know, I, I felt like, wait a minute, do they think I'm capable of being great, right? So I think we've got to be more innovative in our approach to what education is in 2020, you know? And I think it goes back again to that personal development and the organizational development because you've got to have the systems and the structures in place that allow the creativity, right? And the risk taking from the adults, which will then, you know, perpetuate and, and promote risk taking, um, you know, and creativity from, from the children. So um, we're doing it, but I think we just, we gotta, we gotta multiply that by as much as we possibly can in our state. I like that. And I hope we do that. But everybody's afraid of that test. Absolutely. And they don't want to do anything outside yeah. of what they see other people doing because of that test. Listen, right? it's like the scarlet. I'm telling you, it's like the scarlet letter. <laughs> like, if the, if you do not want to be the folks that have the F or the D or the, you know, the C. Like, nobody wants to be a part of a losing team and so that that's what it all boils down to and you know shout out to the folks that are sticking in i'm telling you going into one of the lowest performing middle schools in the state i i was more challenged in that in that space not because necessarily of the issues right but the mindset you know and and there are some amazing educators who are busting their butts do you hear me they deserve, I mean, double quadruple pay because of the type of issues that they're having to work through to get performance and to change their systems, right? Because a lot of the lower performance systems in our state, we know it's the low socioeconomic status, um, it's, it's the children of color, it's the, you know, it's the, our EL students. And so it just can, can be very daunting, right? And it also, it's the shame factor. That's what I'm saying. It's like the scarlet letter. Like nobody wants to say they work at a, a low performance school. Nobody wants to go to the low school. So it's, it's just crazy, right? And it does. It impedes. It just, it just blocks a lot of things, if you will, from, from, from happening for, for scholars that should happen. But my challenge is, from my own experience, I, and that's the beautiful thing about having been in those trenches, right? And I can tell you from experience that they need those experiences more than anybody else. Because if they don't get that exposure, then, for example, my child is fortunate enough that, you know, he's seven and he takes violin. He plays the drums, right? He also is in sports. He take, he's in camps. He, you know, he went to NASA camp last summer. Like, that's exposure outside of the classroom, outside of the school setting. Well, if, the, if our scholars who are in those low performance schools are not getting, they can't get those exposures outside of school, we must figure out how to do it in school, right? Because those are the things that will turn them on to realize that life is bigger than what they're experiencing now. Life is better. It can be better than what they are experiencing now. And so, yeah, you know, we get so focused on trying to get out of that F status. I'm telling you, I've been there. It, it's a tough balance. It's so tough, but you got to do it. You got to figure out how to do it, which again, it comes into that, that boss, that B, and, and that S, that spontaneous. You, you got to make it happen for kids that we are truly, truly going to be able to sleep at night knowing that we are making the impact that we're supposed to make as educators. It's not just about the F. When kids are turned on to learning and they see that there is a future beyond what they are living now, mm. they'll start, they, they'll have the desire to learn. Mm. It'll, drive itself. It'll drive itself, which is why, like I said, we've got to figure out, is it hard? Heck yeah. But is it impossible? You know, is it, 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 is it a possible task? Heck yes. You know, you just got to figure it out. You, you got to be willing to be creative and stand on it and be bold and, and say, hey, this isn't working for our kids. Is this what's best? You know, I tell people all the time, I say, how in the world do you manage the madness when 
you know, you're, you're in a lower performing school because it is so much that has to be done. All educators and everybody, whether you're educated or not, you need a litmus test every day for how you operate. And mine was this, am I doing what's legally, ethically, morally right? Okay. And then the other one, am I doing what's best for scholars? Mm -hmm. Period. You know, if it's, if it's not meeting that litmus test, then I, I'm, we're doing the wrong thing here. And so I think sometimes, you know, even with the remediation piece, when you're talking about meeting academic growth goal on state assessments and measures, we just want to remediate, remediate, remediate. We negate sometimes the fact that they're never going to operate and be proficient at grade level standards if you are not exposing them to mm. grade level standards, right? So we're trying hard, which is why I say, you know, educators need mad respect, right? Mad respect. It's just a matter of trying to not let the pressure of that scarlet letter. And the same thing for high performing schools, right? Because they're buzzing their bus trying to keep it because you don't want to get the A and then slip backwards. So it's like I said, it's pressure all over the place that, um, you know, we've got to manage so that we don't negate the true and the real meaning that we're in schools, which is, you know, to empower our kids to be the absolute best they can be and to help them get to where they want to be in their futures. Mm, I almost wanted to pass the collection plate <laughs> over there to you uh, because, you know, I have a degree in child and family studies. Uh -huh. And so in studying human development, you know, what you were talking about that a lot of schools miss. Yes. Particularly low performing schools or schools that serve kids with lower social economic backgrounds that you mentioned is these kids already have a life script because of where they came from. Absolutely. And so when you give them exposure and experiences, they raise their own expectations. Absolutely. And once they do that and they realize, wow, I don't have to work at the chicken factory. I don't have to, don't have to be on public assistance. I don't have to just go get this job. I can go be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, or I can go start this company. They put in the work That's right. because they have raised the own possibilities in their own minds. And what I and, and what I want schools to understand is there is nothing you can do with a test, with remediation, with your tears, none of that. If your kids do not see themselves bigger than where they come from and you know sometimes i know at schools you know we, we we don't have the extra funds we think you know how, how do i provide them this exposure right so simple things such as you know having a reality fair you know we had a reality fair i'll never forget it you know we had a reality fair once and we brought in the the banks and the mortgage companies and the you know car you know dealers and we set up this space and you know you walk them through because We've got to figure out how this is the other missing piece, right? That relevance piece. It's like, what am I doing this for? What's, what is this? And so constantly trying to do that. But it didn't cost us a dime to run that reality fair. You know, the community was glad to jump in and help. Because like I said, so goes a school, so goes a community, mm. right? So I think more and more the communities are starting to realize that. We, it takes a village. It takes every single one of us to make our schools better, which then will make our communities better. But one of the babies, right, she had picked her card and she was going around and she came to me. She said, so where is the station uh, for public assistance? I said, ma'am, <laughs> right? that was the mindset. But let me tell you why I was so appreciative, because it was in that moment that she was turned on to wait a minute. Hold up. So in that moment, we were able to have a real conversation about, baby, that is not a necessity that you live on public assistance. Let me walk you through some examples. And she was like, you know what? I'm going back. I need to readjust what I bought here. I'm going back. <laughs> we sunk a reality fair. Legit didn't cost us a dime. You know, um, things such as plays and theaters. Can you afford all the time to load up your whole school and take them over to, you know, a Thalia Mars? No, but you do have theater troops that will come to your school, right? So find, find a sponsor that'll pay for the four or $500 for the theater to bring everything to the school. 
exposure matters. Exposure right now in education, education is the great equalizer for our kids. It absolutely is. And so that's why I, I, I would like to challenge everyone. And whether you're even a business, you don't have to be in education, right, to make impact in education. Reach out and ask, how can we work together? Because again, our futures are so intricately um, connected that you know we one will fall without the other. Yes, yes, and get those kids on those buses to them HBCUs right. starting in middle school. That's right. Because the interesting thing about it is with those cultures, and I'm going to speak specifically about Tougaloo, because yeah, I, I stepped on campus with a 16 ACT, mm-hmm. and you get there, and they accept people with six with ACT scores that USM, Ole Miss, Mississippi College, Mississippi State would never allow on that campus. And those kids grow up and become doctors and lawyers and politicians because the environment and the people they're exposed to. It is demanding. The people they are exposed to because them, like when I got on campus and I met black folk who were like generations of money yeah. and lived a different way and went to the ballet. Sorry. I was like, oh. That's correct. Oh, well. Absolutely. Okay, this is different. And then when you get, again, you know, you have these programs that you can do, uh, like Tugla had these programs where you can go spend semesters at another university. Exchange programs, right. Right. So, and they bring people on campus. So I was there. And they're bringing all of these folks on campus and, and speaking. Like, I, I met, well, you know, he, uh, uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, mm-hmm. plus old heads, Stokely Carmichael. I met him at Tougaloo. So right. he came and spoke. And some other folks that I met. When all of that happens, and then, of course, they tell you all the time, you are smart. You are great. We expect you That's to do right. well. No one has to tell you to go study. No one has to be over your back to say, uh, you know, we got some study hours uh, over here to go. You do it yourself because now you say to yourself, I got this, right? That's some stuff I want to accomplish in this world. And I got to go get it. You know, and the other thing that, that, you know, that I received going to a Tulu, um, and I can only speak on my experience is, you know, you have a great understanding and appreciation for your culture, but there I received so much more education about my culture and about my history that it was like, how dare me not give back and 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 be the shoulders for someone else to stand on the way these folks have done for me. And so I think you're absolutely right. It lets you know, and it reminds you of who you are and the greatness that is in you, which is what I'm saying about education today. Like we've got to do that. We've got to see beyond this child who does right now not appear to be able to sit still in my classroom. I got to see him in his mm-hmm. future self so that I can... <laughs> pour into him in a way that he too can see himself in his future self. So mm, I hear you, but we got black schools that don't want to be black schools. Oh my. <laughs> All right. Let's get real. Now you go, you go on the campus, you walk down the hallways. There is no pictures, no, no African art, n- nothing that resembles black greatness for kids to see every day. They don't have uh black history integrated into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So if they got to read some, it's, it's by an author that don't look like these kids, don't have the experience of these kids. Black History Month, you may get a little hour program and that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, do you know who you're dealing with every day? Yeah. Right? So when you hear kids call each other the N-word and they say certain things, you need to create a culture that teaches them differently. That's right. So they understand that the N-word is something that, okay, bruh, we don't need to be using that. And they need to understand. So it's not they stop using it because you get them a referral, but they understand the importance of not, of not using it. That's right. All right. All right, people. I don't know if we got a little, 
little deep in their conversation. Hope y'all still listening when, when it comes out. Uh, but that's how I feel because I came to education through outside learning experiences in terms of after school programs and summer programs. So that's how I came in working with kids on that other stuff. Yes. Because I know that the, the hardest battle that I had to work with was reprogramming, so to speak, Absolutely. what they have learned from the house, that right? What they have, what they see Absolutely. all around them. Absolutely. Because they because because I worked at a college program, and so part part of it was yes, we're going to expose you to colleges. We're going to show you how to write college essays, and you know we're going to do college visits. We're going to learn about financial aid. We're going to do all this stuff. But guess what? We're going to go to plays. That's right. Right. We're going to have expert speakers over. We're going to we're going to do all of these things because I know that I see you this much time. That's right. You spend your entire life around another environment that you don't see people who look like you doing things. Right. And it really caught my eye. Like when I lived in Boston and I would be on the train in the morning and sometimes I'll be there and I'm like, and I see, I would see the kids at the school on the train and I'm looking and I'm looking in the car and I'm like, I'm the only black man in a suit. Mm-hmm. right here now there's a lot of professional black men there but i'm thinking like well how many of these how many of these kids see black men in suits on a regular basis mm-hmm. and so i knew that how i carried myself was important as well as how i spoke to them and so it was always about if you don't do the work that's on you right this is on you you can't blame anybody that's fine. On, but you know, this is on you. And I don't get a chance to talk to kids a lot with my position, but even when I do, and sometimes, you know, some are like, man, it's too much work. I said, this is the easiest work you'll ever get in your life. Right. That's right. All right. I need you to get it done. I need you to, and then I tell them this is for you. Right. Right. This is, this is for nobody else. But you, you're not doing this work for your teacher. You're not doing this work for your parents. You're not doing this work for friends or family. You're doing this work for you because your future absolutely is about you and, and the work you put in. That's right. And uh, it's it's interesting that, oh my gosh, okay. All right, people. I'm, I might be looking for another job next year uh, because I do want to get back to that work that's right. Of really creating those opportunities for those students that right. they can see themselves in a larger context. That's right. That's right. Mm. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. We've been having a good one. All right. So before we go, Dr. Nelson, if you will, break down how an educator should go about determining that niche, ter- determining that area they should be working in and the type of transformation they should be providing. Because earlier, when you spoke about, yes, I do this curriculum and I do this strategic piece, but I love this personal development. So you've carved out that very specific niche and you know this is what I do, this is what I provide. But then when you have educators who are saying, I want to be a consultant. They have to figure out, well, what lane am I going to be in, right? How do I take these years of experience as a classroom teacher, these years of experience as an administrator or a guidance counselor or an instructional technologist and figure out what's that unique piece, that space that I'm going to work from and dominate, right? So based upon your experiences, how should an educator approach that? You know, you got the business aspect that you're like, okay, is there the supply and demand piece, right? But but for me, um, it's about the passion piece. So like, what are you driven to do? Whether you get uh, <laughs> whether you get a dollar from it, whether you get a million from it, or, or 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 just a thank you from it, right? So I think for me that that has been, you know, the determining factor is what what drives me every day, regardless of. You know, because sometimes we're all, the adults are like the, the children, you know, we're looking for that immediate gratification, right? We're looking for the immediate paycheck or the immediate, 
you know, response or that, that mass success. But for me, it, it's bigger than that. It's about purpose, mm. right? Uh, are you walking in your purpose? Are you walking in your passion? And then how do you package that and brand it in a way that it will eventually get you, <laughs> you know, the money that you need to survive? Because again, as an educator, I tell you, I'm guilty and I'm still guilty today. Like, oh, I don't really want to wait a minute, charge. I'm just, this is my life's work. You know, this is my dash work, right? This is it. But, but I think it's that. I think it's what, what, what are you driven to do every day? What, what is your purpose? Why are you here on this earth? Why are you still here? And then taking that, why am I still here? And again, let it, letting the passion drive kind of the package, if you will. Mm. That's all right. What a great way to end it. But do charge, because I do. Yes, sir. I'm working on that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I remember being talking to someone at this uh, conference, and somebody walked up to them, and they were like, we need some more tech stuff. And they were like, oh, but we have, we have Dr. Will right here. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you're not going to have me for free. Yes. And then I spoke to the incoming president, you know, and uh, we got a fee worked out for the following year. Uh, but my thing was, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't be out that advertising. Right. You got me. You ain't got no check. <laughs> That's not how that works. You, you have motivated me like you literally <laughs> have on that end. Because like I said, it's just, you know, we're naturally, most of us are not just natural, humble people, you know. So it's like, oh, no, I got I just want to help, right? But in the meantime, I'm guilty of this, legit, even last year. Because um, the other piece of, you know, Boss Educator is about youth events, right? And youth, mm-hmm. youth empowerment. And so I put on this uh, girl power conference. It was called Be Beautiful Girl Power. We had 100 girls there. It was amazing. It was a free event for the girls, right? Because I know the community, I, don't want, I didn't want it to be a barrier for access, right? Listen. I bought books and shirts and, you know, happy pamper packages. And it was all of this legit came out of my pocket, right? Because I know there's a purpose, but I'm like, I can't keep funding. Because <laughs> I got to eat too, you know, I have mm-hmm. a child, you got to eat. But anyway, so I'm working on that, um, you know, that balancing because I do see such a need in our community. Honestly, which has been part of me taking this you know, this leap of faith with going ahead and, you know, actually starting the process of truly engaging in the business aspect, because I want to do more of that. I want to do more of the exposure for the, for the youth in our community, but yeah. So you've motivated me. I appreciate you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate Alhamdulillah. I feel funny at first. I'm not going to lie. I feel funny yeah. at first about charging people. And then I got that first check. And my first check was $2,300. Yes. Now, people, you know, I, within Mississippi, as long if you know how long somebody been working, <clears throat> and you know what their degree status is, you know, you got a, a 1A, AA, AAA, quadruple A, you know what, and then you know, you at least know what their base salary is from the state, and then local communities, Mm-hmm. Local districts give you that local supplement, which will vary what your salary is, right? So, and then, of course, people, PERS take their money. PERS take their money from the top folk. They ain't playing around there. So, uh, <laughs> PERS ain't playing. So, so after PERS and American Fidelity stuff, because I got to get that extra, got to get that extra, uh, and, and life insurance and all that stuff. My take-home pay is 26-something people. Mm-hmm. All right, I've, I've done all my taxes. Now, this school district gave me $2,300 for eight hours of work. Now, I looked at a whole month. That's right. This is my take-home pay versus eight hours of work. Mind you, I did a work that this is what I do every day at mm-hmm. my full-time gig. I was like, once that check came in, you were motivated, huh? <laughs> I was like, you know what? Mm, 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about free anymore because I have seen the light. <laughs> seen the light. Uh, then uh, so I tell people, you don't have to charge every time. And then for me, even though I have like a base rate, if someone reaches out to me and they say, hey, you know, we don't have a huge budget, you know, then I'll work with them. But again, it also has to be in, be in within reason because I got to take a personal day. Right. To do these That's things. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so you know, it, it all, it's up to the individual to choose that. So I, in my show, in person, I'll never tell anyone how much you charge people. I'll just tell people, just make sure that it is based upon your worth mm -hmm. and not based upon your time. Meaning, if you get paid $230 a day, don't go, well, yeah. I'll charge them this much because this is what I, mm, 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 mm. because you're not getting paid by the hour. Right. You're getting paid based upon the knowledge and expertise you bring right. to the table. Okay. So you need to put some respect on them zeros. Respect on the zeros. I'm going to have to write that down and remind myself on it. Yes. <laughs> respect on the zeros. So, they, so you get that check done. So uh, thank you, Doc, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure actually talking and engaging with you, sir. Excellent. I appreciate it. Now, people, you know how I do this. This episode will be going up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Simplecast, and Spotify. I was like, when I found out I was on Spotify, I was like, what? <laughs> so I need you to subscribe. I need you to follow. I need you to give me some ratings, people. All right? Come on now, let it swipe like Tinder. I want the, the, the ratings there. People can just get, <laughs> I want them on there. Because your boy, first of all, it helps me to be easily more found, right? It helps me be found uh, easier on Apple Podcasts. But your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here, right? Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. LaQuanta Nelson, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I want to thank, Every one of you who've been listening to the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. And if you have listened to this episode, then you know that season six is going to be even bigger and better. I have done over 330 shows and uh, inshallah, I will be doing 330 more and we'll be doing it big. So again, people, as always, invest in you, EDU, peace.